Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to your own personal Beatles time with me, Jack Pelling. And me, Robin Allender. Welcome. How are you, Robin? Very good, thanks. Yes, very excited about this week's episode. He's uh, long been a musical hero of mine. Yes, it's Max Tundra, who we'll be chatting to very shortly. A fantastic, uh, what would you say, power pop musician? Very influential. Hyper pop, electronic, experimental, very funny and yes very good musician quite you know pretty <laughs> yeah. uh, what's that phrase kind of academics use su generis when it's uh, not of right. any genre you know yes have it i is, um, how do you say it have i pronounced it correctly i'm not going to do better than that <laughs> <laughs> we'll give we'll give it a go um, with that yeah but yes it is um it's it's hard to sort of pigeonhole his work um he's worked with everyone from arca to Daphne and Celeste, mm. and some of his early influential records have been re-released recently on Domino. Yep. So we'll be talking to him about his personal Beatles, his involvement in the video game Trombone Champ, which has been <laughs> sort of covert smash yeah. in the video gaming world over the last few months. And it's a terrific chat. He's really lovely and talks very intelligently about music. He also provided some really beautiful piano jingles mm. that we've sort of sprinkled over this episode. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thank you very much to Ben Jacobs, a.k.a. Max Tundra, for that. Yeah, um, and it's been really nice to kind of get to know Ben, uh, because we now kind of text each other Chris Morris quotes every so often, which is nice. <laughs> He's very, very funny, uh, very funny in email and very funny in text. I really like the fact he went to see Orteca <laughs> recently. You know, Orteca did that gig at the Barbican mm. with in the complete darkness yeah and ben described as pl- them playing in the dark as the twat's shtick <laughs> <laughs> which I, I really like i just kept finding i kept finding myself saying that um but you know they're not twats it's just a funny thing to say <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah there's loads of that to talk to he, he talks about seeing the analogs and stuff like that yeah. and uh, the beatles influence on him as a musician and also um you did you want to correct the fact that the piano capo does exist we talk about piano capos in this don't we that's right. Yes, you yeah. made a joke which I laughed heartily at yeah. um, about uh, you know correcting the pitch of a detuned piano with a capo, which I thought was a bit of an absurd concept until I did a quick Google, and it does actually exist. So there you go, laughing and learning as always. Yeah. So before we get started, we will chat a little bit about our weekly wings in a sec. Yeah, I just wanted to read out a little bit of correspondence we've Mm. had some lovely emails and a few messages across the social media if you want to follow us you can go to at personal beetles on instagram and twitter for now if it still exists in a week um and all (laughs) those various platforms but i'll just read out a nice email we got from uh, louis or lewis 
Gilbert, who has something to say about Yellow Submarine, which is very interesting. The email is as follows. Hi, Jack and Robin. I hope you're both well. I'd like to thank you for accompanying me during my working days as I frequently listen to your podcast whilst battling a spreadsheet or five. (laughs) Know the feeling. Uh, I'm writing because I have a couple of theories about Yellow Submarine that my friends aren't interested in hearing. (laughs) Well, their loss. Um, I feel your ears and hopefully fellow podcast devotees are suitably suitable to hear it. These ideas come out due to the new Revolver reissue. Since we know now it's a John song and its origins as a melancholic folk song, with the terribly sad lines in the town where I was born, no one came, no one came, this gets then gets changed to in the town where I was born lived a man who sailed to sea, that we all know and love. For me, this is the only song that John sings about his dad. His dad was a merchant sailor that never came to John, a man who sailed the sea. His dad only came to John when he was famous trying to get some cash, sleep with Cynthia and all sorts of other madness. Freddie Lennon was a bitter man and probably did tell John about his life and how claustrophobic it was, a la a submarine, maybe a bit too much of a stretch. (laughs) The rest of the song might be Freddie recalling the many adventures he went on. After all, there is no greater bore than someone on their holidays. An interesting theory. I like that theory, yeah. It's no one cared, yeah. isn't it? No one cared, not no one came. Yeah, I think it might be. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, there's definitely that sort of... I think there's something you know, in that, for sure. ...of his comparisons with Mother. Mm. Um, you mentioned when we first heard it that it sounded like something that could be off a kind of proto-Plasticono band. Mm. Um, and that would sort of, that would fit, yeah. So a very interesting theory. Definitely. I'm into that. Mm. The second one is, I also quite like the submarine being yellow. I wonder if this is a nod to another great 60s pop culture of Thunderbirds with the aquatic Thunderbird being oh, a yellow yeah. submarine. Never thought about that before, but it's right. Wait, which came first though? Thunderbirds predates revolver so he hypothesizes that john might have watched it with julian in the early days thunderbirds Mm. came out in 1965 revolver obviously 66 yeah so i do think it's a co it's a collab isn't it because i think john came up with the verses and paul came up yeah i think concept yeah concept is probably a bit weighty yeah where there's a potential hole in this theory is the fact that i think pretty sure that all the yellow submarine stuff was was paul Mm. but still could have been you know thunderbird inspired who knows but i think if they were they were definitely driving towards the same thing so i do think there is something of the, i reckon that that freddie lennon inter- interpretation is is really good i think yeah certainly yeah, yeah. yeah louis says i hope this is of some interest keep beetling on kbo yeah. to you too <laughs> um yeah so fascinating mm. um i'll just read out one more which you'll like which is a message we got on instagram from vicky woodmansey who says, hello, loving the new series. I was reminded of something you said in one of the recent eps when I was listening to A Day in the Life with my daughter. I know this sounds like one of those didn't happen of the year things, (laughs) but she asked if the R bit, the backing vocals, was where he is in his imagination. And I thought of you asking how do the characters slash sections relate in the song. Thought you might like a five-year-old's take. Anyway, lovely listening, KBO. That's brilliant. I mean, definitely. I mean, yeah. that, that's that's what happens as you're listening to the song. Somebody spoke and I went into a dream, and the R in the language of kind of music yeah, is the dream, isn't it? Transcending yeah. into the ethereal. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. So yeah, definitely. Oh, wow. I would say 
Yes. Yeah. What a great that is observation. What it is. That's great. Yeah. Love it. Fantastic. Um, so if you want to get in touch with us, age five and upwards, then you can email us, jack <laughs> at homespunsounds.com. And uh, yeah, give us some more of your revolver theories and anything else that you might want to share. I love I love that, talking about the meanings of the songs and the hidden meanings. I mean, because obviously John would be so critical of this with his kind of, I am the walrus, this will confuse people. But I love all this stuff. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? it's great. It's fascinating. It's brilliant. One thing that John was unequivocal about that um, crossed my path for the first time this week was chocolate olivers. Mm. Have you ever tried a chocolate oliver? Never had them, no. This is in his interview with, uh, is it with Bispering Wob? Yes, it is. Mm. He mentions them quite a lot. And he oh, does he? a lot yeah. of um, interviews with Keep Sending Over <laughs> Those Chocolate Olivers. Um, <laughs> but they were sort of this, this very hard, sort of very unique kind of stoic British biscuit that John I think there's one of the sort of stories that he uh, refused to be paid for his old grey whistle test appearance in anything but chocolate olivers (laughs) so when I saw them the other day I bought some yeah effing expensive <laughs> really i mean where but, uh, to get them Do well they're very like Norman, sort of luxury they're made by, i think they're made in reading okay um and they were they were discontinued for a long time but i think they've now been brought back and they they come in a long tube don't we all you can <laughs> yeah i'll give you one next time i see you in person but they're definitely incredibly hard but really delicious like john lennon yeah hard and delicious <laughs> and 80 percent cocoa um <laughs> But yeah, if you ever see them, snap them up. I really like them. Great with a cup of tea, obviously. So before we get on to our weekly rings, we'll just uh, do our weekly reminder that if you enjoy the show, then you can get uh, ad-free versions earlier than everyone else by signing up to the Patreon or on Apple Podcasts throughout through the subscription service on the app by going to patreon.com forward slash personal Beatles. If you don't feel like a financial contribution, then fair play. But why don't you pop over to Apple Podcasts and give us a nice review that'd be good and continue to get in touch and all that business right should we do some weekly wings yeah take it away take it a bloody way This week on Weekly Wings it's the title track from Wings's sixth studio album London Town Mm. I think the song is really, really beautiful and quite unusual. And what I like about it is I listen to it not thinking about what influenced it, but in thinking about how it influenced other songs. So mm. if you listen to this song, London Town, and then have a listen to the Wilco song, You Are My Face, which is on mm-hmm. the album Sky Blue Sky, because there's a real similarity within the verses, the way the, har- the vocal harmonies work across this chord change. It sounds really beautiful and kind of ahead of its time, I think, this song. And also another thing to listen to, if you if you have got the time, is Jim O'Rourke did an album about 10 or so years ago called The Visitor, which is a, a one 45-minute long song. In it, it kind of goes in and out of focus, as it were, as it gets... Mm. Some of it's very structured and some of it is more kind of loose. But the structured bits kind of sound very late wings, Right. So when, the, when I first heard the intro to London Town, which has got this lovely chord change, almost like classical kind of the way the chords develop, I thought that yeah. sounds like something from The Visitor. So it's really interesting to kind of hear what would probably have been a pretty unfashionable album at the time coming out in, yeah. what was it, 78? 78, I think. 
to to now hear it through the context of those two artists, you know. But so for me, I think it's a really interesting song. And another thing as well is we, we just recorded a, a conversation with Ed Dowie for a future personal yeah. Beatles episode, and we talked a lot about songwriting and songwriting decisions and things. And I think mm-hmm. Paul does this. It's a classic Paul move of when he's he's in the verse. It's a beautiful verse, and then he goes like playing on his flute and goes really high <laughs> to and you yeah. can just imagine him pointing when he does a high note you know flute yeah, yeah. you know what i mean and it's like a little bit naff because it's he creates this amazing mood and then does the flute bit you know but but that's why yeah. why we love it and him. then we're all going to join together and sing toot toot, toot, toot. toot. yeah it's like okay paul <laughs> yeah but it's a great yeah. song do listen do check it out the whole the whole london town album is great actually and uh, yeah and have a listen to that wilco yeah. song it's one of the more sort of critically maligned Wings songs and it does. I don't know. We've we talked before about sort of the dangers of unchallenged Paul, mm. um, and this definitely sort of has elements of it. Yeah, but it's very. Um, yeah, I really like this song. It's all. I don't know the album that well. I've only just sort of started listening to it all the way mm. through. But th- this is. It's a great. It's almost like a little overture for the for the album. Yeah, there's something very kind of theatrical about it. This is Paul in his kind of. Vignetti, yeah, you know, very evocative imagery. Always banging on about ordinary people again. The ordinary man, <laughs> while while recording <laughs> it on a people. on a yacht in the Virgin Islands. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. even great. the wine's ordinary on this album. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's great. You do kind of get jerked out of these lovely bits of scene setting by the odd, slightly odd a choice of couplet. Or mm. you know, he goes on about rosas in this, which yeah. is a bit, <laughs> a bit weird. <laughs> I mean, the ordinary wine, is that from Cafe on the Left Bank? That's, the, that's the, Cafe on the, the Left The lyrics Bank, to yeah. that are so funny. Yeah, I love people that. talking too loud for their ears. Yeah, <laughs> tiny crowd of Frenchmen round a TV shop watching Charles de Gaulle make a speech. <laughs> it's it's good. I don't know why that makes me... Is it a haiku? <laughs> yeah, I just like that. That's, it's de, it's de Bergian. I'm going to say it. It's de Bergian. Yeah. It really is Cafe on the There's also an interesting interchange of the word sidewalk and pavement. Consider it a yeah. song called London Town and it's got the word sidewalk <laughs> in the first line, which is very, very un London Towny. But yeah. then he puts in pavement afterwards for some reason. Yeah. But um I like yeah. the solo. The guitar solo is very Georgie. Mm, you could definitely. you could convince me that that's seventies era George playing slide guitar. Obviously chance would be a fine thing in yeah. this era. But um, yeah, really interesting one. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm looking forward to sort of getting to know that record a bit better. The problem is, yeah, the track you mentioned that comes after this one is a bit of a stinker. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably why I never got too far with it. But um, it's yeah. great. It's yeah, it's good. Enjoy. Let's crack on with Max Tundra. We'll be back at the end to talk a little bit about what is coming up next week. But for now, enjoy our conversation with Ben Jacobs, aka the wonderful Max Tundra. <laughs> Welcome to your own personal Beatles. This week we're thrilled to have Ben Jacobs with us, aka Max Tundra. Do you prefer? Do you like Max or Ben? I feel like I'm Max Tundra when I'm on stage, but as I'm off stage, let's call you. Let's do it with Ben. Ben. Yeah, call me Dave. Let's call you Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Jack and I saw Ben perform at the Lexington uh, quite recently, which is the first Max Tundra gig for several years, and it was absolutely. Fantastic. Anyway, we're delighted, stroke thrilled, to have Ben <laughs> talking to us about the Beatles. So, welcome, Ben. Oh, Hello. thanks very much. Huge long-term listener of the pod. So it's uh, lovely. I was just saying to these guys that it's very strange to sort of 
see you in real life and not be sort of walking around the streets of Walthamstow with you in my headphones. <laughs> How crushing was the disappointment? <laughs> physical entities. Yeah, we are <laughs> physical. Physically here. Yeah. yeah. Like How long was it since the last Max Tundra gig before I, the Lexington one? I feel like it was at least a decade. I think it wow. was about 14 years since I'd done a headline show. I was fucking nerve-wracked, I tell mm. you what. It was properly scary, and I'm glad I didn't know you guys were standing there because I'd have been even more nervous. Frankly. Well, you, oh, it didn't so come across yeah. at all. It was a amazing night. yeah and you're i like the way you had certain instruments which you maybe played for like a bar that's it the yeah. and then put down i like the idea of sort of having you know something that's a kind of a hassle to take along to a gig and then it's just <laughs> yeah. like sometimes you might actually forget about it on the night yeah. and it's just there oh i brought this guitar it's just sitting there in the corner <laughs> so beatles and mm. your music yes let's start with your stuff mm. how much of the beatles is in max tundra records and how does it manifest itself well I think they've always been in my musical DNA. I mean, I grew up in a house with a few Beatles records, not all of them. Um, I grew up in a house with Sgt Pepper and Abbey Road in it. And then the following seven inches, We Can Work It Out, Day Tripper, Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields Forever, All You Need Is Love, Baby, You're a Rich Man, Hello, Goodbye, I'm the Walrus. And all of those seven inches had, do you know that lovely patina where the record almost feels smooth? Mm. And the crackles almost drown out the music yeah. when you play them. Yeah. Most of them had Liz scrawled into them, which is my aunt Elizabeth or Lily, as we call her oh, name. Nice. More oh, on nice. her later. Um, and I, you know, I spent a lot of my childhood just making weird little kind of cassette-based mega mixes, like just playing a record on the home hi-fi, playing mm. four beats of it, pressing play and record, pausing it putting something else on, playing four beats of that, pressing pause, and then building up these weird sort of, wow. you know, new tracks, I suppose. What mm. was the inspiration for that? What were you trying to sort of replicate, or was it an original concept? Well, one of the one of the things me and my sister used to like doing was recording ourselves saying, Mom, and then pressing play on the tape and laughing when she responded to the tape. <laughs> like, oh, you, you responded to Stupid a tape. Stupid, Mom. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it was just... I've always been drawn to, I don't know, I suppose maybe as a slightly older child, I was drawn towards, you know, those kind of studio boffin types like the bug, the Buggles, the Art mm. of Noise, you know, people using the studio as a musical instrument. Yeah. And um, obviously there's a lot of that going on with, with those two Beatles albums. Um, I came to the rest of their back catalogue much later than the childhood. That was basically all I knew of the Beatles for a good 20 years, I would say. Mm. But <clears throat> it's a decent grounding, I think, especially those two albums. Yeah. Um, yeah, just stuff like noticing there was a really high-pitched tone at the end of a day in the life before the famous run-out loop happens, mm. like a sort yeah, of dog yeah. whistle tone and slowing that down. And just, just being, you know, totally thrilled that, you know, here was a band that was clearly messing about at points and having mm. having sort of astonishing results from doing that. Yeah, so a lot of these a lot of these records had the centers missing because they were ex jukebox records. Oh right. So they mm. had sort of the, the middles were kind of popped out. So right. did you ever go to like your local news agent and they were sort of last week's chart records were on a carousel with the centers missing and they were like 49p each old seven inches. I think that no, might, be might be a bit before my time. I'm not saying you're old. I'm quite elderly. <laughs> yeah. I definitely have. Um, I've got lots of seven inches with the the, the thing. But that's why it yeah. was, was it? Because they're jukebox records. Yeah. So basically, right. so I always wondered old, what that was for. Yeah. So with the old jukebox, because it's sort yeah. of very clumsily kind of dropping it onto mm. this thing, this kind of robot arm. Um, it's two 
it's too accurate to try and get it into a, a small one. So the, mm -hmm. a lot of them had their centers missing. So I used to have like sort of, there were bags and bags of seven inches in the house that were these ex-jukebox records. Yeah. And there were these kind of Beatles seven inches as well. Mm. And it was just this big kind of, you know, soup of inspiration, I suppose. Mm. Just kind of just digging into this bag or what's going to be in this one. Um, was it a coincidence that they're all singles that aren't on albums? I'm not sure. I think basically those, the seven inches must have been bought originally by my auntie Lily. The albums mm. were probably bought by my mum and dad at the time. There was an incident where my mum and dad went to a Beatles show in London. I think it would be one of the Hammersmith Odeon ones in the mm. mid-60s. There was a few of those, wasn't there? Yeah. And so they were, yeah, my mum's like six years older than my aunt. And so she and my dad, who were in the early courting days, were sitting watching the Beatles and there were sort of people, young girls screaming and being carried out. And one of the girls being screamed and carried out was <laughs> my auntie. <Lily. laughs> right. Did your mum know she was there? Or was she just surprised when her sister was, was dragged out screaming? I think, yeah, I think she probably knew she oh, was right, there and kind of looked the other way and embarrassed. Right, yeah. But, yeah. Um, so my auntie Lily went to school with Melanie Coe. Do you know who that is? No. no. Melanie Coe is the woman who She's Leaving Home has written about. Oh, oh right. right. Yes. Um, so, um, so, yeah, I do know the, that. Yeah, Sorry. They, were yeah, the, yeah. they were at the same school. They were at Skinner's in North London. Wow. Uh, my mum went to that school as well, but I think auntie Lily was in the same year as her. Um, so I texted her, texted auntie Lily, and I said, oh, is this true? You went to school with the the she's leaving home girl yeah. and she wrote back she said yes indeed she was at skinner's very pretty in a dolly bird sort of way she fell asleep under a sun lamp once and came to school beetroot red <laughs> wow well, there you go. but that's so the, there you extra go. the extraordinary story about her is she was on a tv show with is it paul ready steady go or something yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah with paul incredible? mccartney yeah it's bizarre one yeah, of the weirdest odd. coincidences and then didn't they meet a third time there's the there's a third incident involving her, isn't there? Right. But I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, I mean, obviously, I know the backstory of this, but yeah. can you remind people who don't? So did Paul read it in a newspaper or something? Or was it a um, news story? <coughs> yes, no, you'll have to look that one up. But yeah, basically, I think it was one of them read a news, a news story and based it on that. And, mm. and then she was very chuffed later. There's, there's a few interviews with her since then. So mm. She's really chuffed that this song was about her and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's, that's amazing. I guess it must have been amazing just to be that much of a fan of the Beatles and then, you yeah. know, find out that this kid at your school is, mm. is the subject of this song. It's mm. quite amazing, really. Yeah. So, yeah, so I just I just used to sit at home when I was a kid just playing those seven inches, basically. Mm. And we had one of those stereos where, you know, you stack the seven inches up and then it's sort of when one stops playing, the next one drops yeah, down yeah. and mm. they're sort of by the end of it, they're kind of my bloody valentining around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I used to just kind of sit at, like, sit at home Maybe when I was a bit older, I might light a joss stick, you know, mm. <laughs> and that was that really. But just, yeah, I was just fascinated by the sort of the sound world that they were in. It just it's just sounded very sort of odd. And there was a bit of a vibe going around when I was at secondary school. There was like someone had sort of half swallowed that Paul is dead. Right. Mythos. Right. Yeah. And they were just like, oh, the, you know, you shouldn't listen to the Beatles. They like sort of it's like, you know the devil's music there's a, oh they killed paul blah 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 there was a bit of that going on wow and that sort of made it a bit spicier yeah and i was just like oh yeah that is that there is that weird message at the end what does it sound like eat your body never mm. are they against cannibalism what's going on <laughs> um it's got, that's not a very controversial stance <laughs> so, yeah exactly yeah. Well, i had to come down on one side <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah um when i've been making my own music i i always try and bury as many things in the mix as I possibly can mm. so that no one can possibly hear everything that's going on and it rewards 
people who are not just a casual listener to the mm. music. Mm. So it's kind of, I mean, I hope it's not too reductive to say your music's quite sort of maximalist. Yes, in a go. way that mm. like Pepper definitely is. So, oh, most definitely, yeah, yeah, mm. and that's sort of that's kind of more Paul's thing, isn't it? The yeah. sort of mm. that real kind of manic experimentation. Sort I of was thing. always a Paul guy, and I think the first time I saw the coming up video. Mm. I was just like, okay, that's that's my guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's my multi instrumentalist dude. The other thing mm. I think the connection with your music is, as well as that kind of burying so many details, the kind of Glass Onion style songwriting. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, maybe your songwriting is similar to that in some ways, in sort of very elusive, allusive with an A, I suppose, mm-hmm. like, you know, yes. <laughs> and things like that. The other thing is that your music is, seems quite process-driven in some ways. Do you think that's... It's funny, fair? yeah, because when I'm working on a track, generally speaking, the melody is king, and that's the mm. first thing I come up with. And right. sometimes I'll set myself quite a nerve-wracking test, which is come up with a melody, mm. don't record or write it down in any way, go to bed, and if you wake up in the morning and you can remember it, it's yeah. memorable enough to use. And if right. you've forgotten mm. it, then it's gone forever. Wow. And I stopped doing that for a while because I'm quite forgetful. And I thought, fuck, I'm forgetting the <laughs> <Yeah>. amazing <laughs> tunes here. The older I get, the less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but I certainly did that around Master Bike Guy at the Exchange right. era. Um, and built the tracks around that. And, mm. you know, in a very sort of nod to sort of coming up one man band kind of way I've always been a real control freak with my music and just wanting to play everything myself I was in some Mm. bands when I was at school and hated it really really hated it like I would come to the rehearsal having worked out some weird sort of proggy keyboard part and then just be like oh sounds a bit weird mate yeah can you just play this instead and you know I've had people say sounds a bit weird mate ever since Mm. Um, yeah and so just the first opportunity I thought right sod those guys I'm going to teach myself to play the drums and the guitar and the bass and layer it all myself and you know started with like multi-track tape deck mm. and then graduated to like a hard disc recorder but always not not letting anyone else control the mm. yeah. songwriting process what was your primary instrument piano right mm. keys generally um i used to have a fender Rhodes, which is on a lot of the albums which i once had to sell to pay the rent oh back no then. Um, Were you playing? But I'd used you played it quite that a on the Lexington. That, yeah, yeah, so I rented one for the Lexington. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but right now there's a piano at home, real piano, which is a very nice thing. Mm. Um, yeah, I grew up in a house with a piano, which was a whole tone flat, and it was one of those. Wow. Old, yeah, it was one of those old pianos. You know, when they're really old and they've got the the harp inside is made of wood, not metal. Right. right. So you physically can't tune them to concert pitch because it would snap the frame. Okay. Oh God. So you can tune it to itself. Yeah. It's really mm. old. It was like 1930s piano, wasn't it? Wow. You Upright. Can, yeah. Yeah. You can tune it to itself, but you can't achieve concert pitch. So I would, when I was growing up, I would learn songs in two keys. I'd learn the song for the home piano, mm. and then I'd learn it like a tone higher, so that it would sound like it was the right key. Or wow. Whatever. And then so... It's really good of, practice, though. Yeah, imagine. yeah, yeah. for transposing. Transposing, yeah. You need a piano capo for... Exactly, stuff. yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, when That's I was amazing. at primary school, I used to quite often get called up to the front in assembly and just play... When it, uh, this is like age seven, age eight, just play piano in front of the whole school. Like, wow. Ben, 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 all that stuff. And I'd play like songs from Bugsy Malone or songs mm. from like whatever adverts were on in the mm. sort of innocent pre-go compare days. <laughs> yeah, you were very interested in like adverts and TV oh, yeah. show themes. I and don't things, know why. Yeah. I think it's because a TV advert soundtrack is an exercise in achieving quite a lot musically in a sort of mm. 10, 20 mm. or 30 second period, isn't it? Yeah. And hookiness I mean, and I'm, catchiness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pulls detractors 
say things like Paul's a jingle writer as well. That's mm. why we love him, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's all, yeah. So the piano's been like sort of my the heart and soul of what I play. Like I had piano lessons when I was a kid, really hated them, being mm-hmm. told what to play, dead composers and all that. Just This is really boring. Used to come to the piano lessons as well with something I'd pissed about. Oh, no, listen yeah, to this. Yeah. I played this. This was on the telly the other day. And the teacher would say, no, we'd like you to play this. You can sort of sense yeah. a theme here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, just sort of had the tape player going, recording myself, playing along with with records, learn rudimentary versions of, of Beatles songs. Mm. You know, I can maybe record a few. We can yeah. Play mm. them on the podcast. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's have a listen to one now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I go back to that process thing, Mm -hmm. because I think that's the thing that often defines a lot of more experimental music, where it's Mm -hmm. like the the idea that the process is almost the most important element of it. I was trying to think of Beatles songs where, I mean, Day in the Life would be an an obvious one where the string crescendo of course, yeah. It's a pr- process. And maybe Revolution 9, but potentially, mm, although that's just yeah. more random, really, isn't it? But I mean, but I feel like a lot of your songs, it's kind of like you set yourself a, a I'm going to do this song in this kind of way mm-hmm. or something. I always like to mm. say there's a song on yeah. your first album, which is starts with the mobile phone interference. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. And so it's like, there's obviously a kind of process element of how can I make a song out of that? Yeah, exactly. But does that process, as it were, experimental way of thinking about music, does that kind of define how you write? I think, yeah, essentially, I do try and make every single track I do a completely different style of music. So the two priorities are melody and originality. Um, and so I'll come up with a, like a weird pop tune and then it's just like, right, okay, well, I can't sound like this other thing I've done, but it also yeah. can't sound too much like anything else that's ever gone before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so not say, <laughs> so, no, not yeah. say yourself too yeah. hard. Yeah. 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 Um, and I've always been 
with my own music, I've always been quite inspired by music that I don't like. Like you'll turn on the radio and there'll just be some, you know, really boring, yeah. bland. What, generic kind of, in a pop way? Or generic, usually sort of acoustic folk, maudlin right, right. cover versions of, you mm. know, former disco classics. <laughs> um, and you just, or just something just incredibly depressing. Well, you're on hold, you know, you're phoning EE, yeah, you sort yeah. of mm. add some minutes to your bundle or whatever. And there's just like, I don't know, I don't want to name names, but some, there's some real shocking music out there, right? Mm, yeah. Mm. And so when I hear that and I think, oh God, well, I don't want it to sound like that. Then you, then you're sort of, you're fired up. Mm. It's like in many ways, if I hear something I really love, it's like, well, that's already been done. You know, I can't do that. Mm. So good, good on them. But, but right. the Beatles were amazing at never repeating themselves. Yeah. And avo- avoiding cliche. Like there's a bit yeah. in Get Back where... I think it's Paul McCartney saying, "Oh, we want to, we don't want to do that." I don't can't remember if he doesn't use the word cliche. Does he say hack or something like that? I can't remember. Yeah, I, I know the bit you're talking about. But they're yeah. obviously very aware of mm-hmm. not mm. doing stuff that was cliche. Yeah, you know. Mm. I think it's so important, and I think it's like people are such lazy songwriters and musicians, and a lot within the electronic music world that's just fucking boring mm. Um, mm. and repetitive, and. You know, I'd go to so many gigs when it's just like just a bloke sort of standing there with a laptop and it's just like, oh, God, this is so dull. Yeah. Um, and so I just I always wanted to do something that was very informed by sort of pop sensibilities. Yeah. You know, you might be sort of electronic music, but then it's like you buy the record. You're not entirely sure how the person made it, mm. you know, mm. that kind of thing. And it's a sort of element of mystery about it and, you know, weirdness. But also, you know, all my stuff is very upbeat. There are very few few slow yeah. jams. Yeah. And there's <laughs> also, um, I mean, obviously the Lexington was yeah. put on a really good show. But there's also man. a lot of comedy in it. The lyrics yeah. are very funny. The music yeah. is funny. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah. you know, and yeah. that, that's a Beatles thing as well. But um, yeah, I think you, we're so used to hearing serious stuff, aren't we? So it's just mm. like when, mm. especially within electronic music, that when someone's out there doing stuff that is, you know, a bit more sort of joyful and uplifting. It's like, oh, okay. Mm. Well, yeah, you could do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I just think life's too short to make people more miserable than they mm. were before yeah. they put your record on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, no, I've always just, and just been fascinated by, you know, you sort of, you sit and listen to um, Strawberry Fields and you try and figure out all the instruments that go into it. And then mm. it's like, when you're working on your own stuff, you might, there's a track on the first album, the first track on it, which is a song called Cakes, which has got two tubular bells on it that I hired from a musical instrument hire and prop company called Beat About the Bush in West London, which yeah. hires props, musical props for TV shows and period yeah. dramas and stuff and get harpsichords and clavinets and things in there. And so I hired these two tubular bells. It was two notes. I guess it would have been maybe A and E. I'm not sure. Yeah. I can't remember what key Cakes mm. is in. And basically... Didn't have a car in those days, but just kind of schlepped on public transport home with these two bells to Streatham Hill, (laughs) just to record like me banging each one twice. Just that's the sort of extra miles you get on a Max Tundra record. Well, that's the kind of thing. I mean, we've got a mutual friend, Josie Hypatia Grounds, Mm. and she's a brilliant musician as well. And um, she she's always, I mean, she's she's done stand up as well, which is very good. Oh no way! But for for her, it is always about the kind of it's the process. It's the energy that's gone into the joke yeah, absolutely is so much so, so important yeah you know. i think again it's me rebelling against just the sort of classic laptop musician it's like oh i could press a button that sounds like a jubilee no i'm going to hire one yeah i'm mm. going to hire two i read an interview with boards of canada 
when they released Tomorrow's Harvest. And I think they there's one synth, which is like they had to fly from Australia and yeah, they used it go. for like a bar. Yeah, something. perfect. <laughs> that's, the, that's the way so to do cool. it. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard any of um, Bjork's most recent podcast that's come out where she no i'm dying to hear that yeah every album one episode is each album and she has a similar sort of uncompromising way of making things incredibly difficult Mm, yeah um and also having you know really well-defined concepts Mm -hmm. before even attempting a record and you like them or you don't i think Mm -hmm. with with bjork records but you know her making vespertine which is yeah, I love it. Now become probably my favourite. I think it's the best one, isn't it? But yeah. that, you that know, the post, isn't it? All of those microbeats and stuff. So just... romantic. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. It? <laughs> really? It really is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful album. I um, saw that live. Um, that's the one with Matt Moss on it, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Yeah. The they, were, they were doing some live gravel, garden. gravel walking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Oh, were you at the Covent Garden Opera House? I wasn't, but show. I used to have it on DVD. Nice. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. Do you think the Beatles were like that with in terms of would you do you think like when John Lennon said he wanted to sound like an orange, which I think is actually <laughs> true. But yeah, yeah. Is, do you think they knew there were being pains in the arse or do you th- do you think that they knew they could do it and they were so they were aware of how lucky they were they were with Abbey yeah. Road and I mean I think um, like George the revolver Martin. thing has has come out recently and you get to hear for the first time there's a lot of like studio stuff but you get there's a real sort of like quixotic mm. kind of spirit to the whole thing and they really are i think as soon as they get given free reign of abbey road yeah they are just like well this is amazing let's mm. make the most of it and it's a real eye opener i went to see the analogs the other day yes brilliant Do your listeners know about the analogs well yeah give them a brief explanation so the analogs are the most auditory auditorily realistic reenactment of the Beatles mm. albums, I would say. Do you think that's fair? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, check them out on YouTube. It's quite astonishing stuff. And you saw them and Mark Lewis and introduced them. Mark right? Lewis and introduced them. So that's that's how respected they are. Mm. Um, so they played at the Palladium and it was it was Abbey Road in full and it was just astonishing the the hassle it must have been to make that album. Yeah. Like the instruments that like the harpsichord was out for one of the songs. There was yeah. like an out of tune sort of piano for one of them yeah you All wouldn't want to be there roadie would you? no exactly <laughs> well the, melotron's mo- moog do you say moog or moog 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 but yeah. yeah but do you say jiff <laughs> I say yes yeah but melotron's they're melotron's a pain were out, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. yeah this massive synth just like insane it's just mm. like you just you see the covers there's four blokes walking across the road oh it's four just four blokes on this record yeah. playing maybe four instruments but then when you see the analogs it's like no look there's so much going on yeah and then just the fact they had to sort of reset the stage between each song it's just like bloody hell yeah so presumably they had a full orchestra um there wasn't a full orchestra but it was enough of an orchestra to play Abbey Road, mm. right? It was. I mean, they they would have had big horn section enough of a. Uh, yeah, it would have been enough. It would be, it would have been the same stuff that was used on that record. Yeah, they're right. very very faithful to they're the quite exact faithful to yeah. It. yeah versions period yeah. instruments um, in the fifties. Just, I mean, yeah, I've always just been drawn to trying to yeah, just like the tubular bells hiring thing, and mm. just like there's a there's a bit on my second album. There's a track called Hilted where there's a little bit of banjo that plays for like thirty seconds, and I'd never played the banjo before, so I sort of hired one of those and played that and then mm. have never played it since. Again, it's just a rebellion against all that sort of really boring kind of housey techno-y stuff I was just yeah. confronted with at the time. Sure. Especially living in Bristol. I was living in Bristol for the second album. And, um, it's a lovely town, but there was, there was a lot of very boring music being made. Yeah. Mm. <coughs> My, well, Nick, who I was 
in Gravenhurst because they were on warp. He'd mm-hmm. say whenever they go on tour, he got handed lots of CDs mm. of, of what he called male electronica. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got a lot of those. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just I've never seen them live, just on YouTube. But mm. what makes the analogs brilliant is the guy's voice is so good, which yeah. is something that you can't really buy at a vintage yeah. shop. You know, and they're the, Dutch, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, they're Dutch. Yeah, Dutch. Yeah. So you know, it's the guy from who wasn't he the CEO of Tommy Hilfiger? Really? I didn't know that. He was the CEO that. of Tommy Hilfiger. And <laughs> Tommy then he, Hilfiger. He, yeah, he quit them and then just decided to do this faithful Beatles reenactment That's project. So wow. And bankroll that. So I don't know how, you know, because it must be so expensive to put those shows on. Yeah. I mean, must be like... uh, when you said you were seeing them at a Palladium, mm-hmm. I was quite shocked. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's a big room for a, big a tribute room. band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, it felt like it was nearly sold out, but even so, it's just, you know, it's harder and harder to make mm. music from money from music these days yeah mm. um Absolutely. so you you kind of have to be the ex-ceo of tommy hilfiger to, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. to break. especially if you're taking an anvil around the yeah. world oh the yeah. anvil oh, the anvil twice guy, of course yeah the anvil <laughs> yeah. maxwell silver hammer the guy came out and he made such a song and dance about you know sort of well, rolling his <laughs> sleeves up just before the the you know fateful really? moment and all that was just perfect you know absolute wow. you know absolute joy in the room Right, oh, so so yeah. Talk, we were talking about the vocalists, weren't we? There, so there, there were there was you know the main the main Dutch guys in the band, like the sort of there's oh there's the guitar guy, there's the bass guy. Mm. He's going to sing a bit this one, but when Ho, when O Darling came out, they wheeled out this other guy. Yeah, he kind of looked like a cross between Russell Brand and me, <laughs> <laughs> like a balding, less attractive Russell Brand gone to seed slightly. Um, and he came on and he sang and he just like really gave it some and hit all those notes yeah Yeah. it's macker isn't it on that oh yeah Mm. Um, and it was just that you sort of brought a tear to my eye just like this is just like this this guy just so full of joy this guy's just Mm. come on stage that's his shtick he's gonna sing oh darling and then he's gonna go off on and just like so moving yeah amazing these guys would just come you know I think and there's there's a YouTube video of them doing Strawberry Fields where they do the kind of Weird t- tape loopy bit at the end, yeah. and say cranberry sauce. Yeah, there was. Yeah, they did that as well. So they, after oh, they right, played yeah. Abbey Road, there was an interval, and then they did. We're going to do some more songs, various bits and pieces. They did mm. Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane, Taxman. Mm. Um, what else did they do? A few other odds and ends, mm. and all very faithfully done. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Strawberry Fields with the Mellotron and, and the the tapey bit. Mm. Um, the it attention makes... to detail was insane. Yeah, it was just like I mean, just... because must have been pretty hard because that's yeah. sort of quadruple tracked yeah, yeah the vocals still just on that the were, were flawless yeah, yeah really? incredible yeah, yeah just perfect and even down to like having the tea towels on the drums like Ringo's oh, tea towels yeah. yeah the thing is it's not really like seeing a tribute band because the Beatles never played like exactly. that exactly yeah well that's so it it's like seeing like a parallel universe band yeah or it's like seeing it's a way of expressing just how amazing the studio innovations were really I suppose yeah. you know yeah, it's more of a sort of Civil War reenactment. Yeah. <laughs> what I'd really like to see in here is a reenactment of spoken word by perhaps some of your previous guests who have done some really amazing Beatles impressions. Oh, yeah. Got Kevin Eldon's George yes. Martin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean mm-hmm. Keaveney's Macca. That was good, yeah. yeah. Just getting them to sort of reenact spoken parts from yeah. Get Back would just be amazing. I'd pay good money to Adam see Buxton's that. Adam Buxton's John Lennon. Adam oh, Buxton, yeah, that was that good. Was good. Yeah. I really, yeah. I've got a lot of uh, time for Pictish Trails. Paul <laughs> oh, I haven't heard yeah, that. That's yeah, it's good. good. He's just kept turning, making him Welsh. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. right. It was really funny. Keaveney's uh, Macca was, was bringing a tear to my eye. That yeah, was quite pretty spot on. Really amazing. I like that he sort of kind of dropped into it like quite a lot yeah. in that chat. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah. certainly better than mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got any favourite Beatles impressions that you both do? Um, or Beatles, you know, peripheral characters? Uh, well, I don't know really. The I, Anvil. I really like 
my friend Toby does a really good impression of Ringo in Get Back because he, he, he was not a big Beatles fan, but he just thinks Ringo is A, absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. in Get Back and B... I mean, he is. He yeah. is, yeah. And B, incredibly funny and sometimes inadvertently funny, like Paul McCartney's working out Let It Be and in the background... Or it might be the bit where he's coming out with Get Back. In the background, mm-hmm. you see Ringo... It's such an amazing yeah. but his impression of that moment is, is that lovely. Is quite funny. But um as in, in terms of actual impressions, I'm, I'm yeah. I just I My just George say Martin you know, isn't bad, but it's more an impression of, of Kevin, Kevin Eldon. Doing it. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Whenever I'm doing an impression I just say you know a lot. Yeah. You know. You know. Lots of you knows. Ben, there's Hi. a tweet. There's a tweet of yours I really like, which is it's actually from 2012. Gosh, can you go. imagine using Twitter back then? Yeah, I know. And where you say, "I could live inside, woke up, fell out of bed, piano, bass, drums, bit of a day in the life," and sometimes wish Sergeant Pepper was an extension of that section. Absolutely. And then you revisited that when Get Back came out, and you said. Since childhood, I have yearned for a Beatles room to live in, a Fab's blanket to wrap around me, a sustained atmosphere flavoured with this kind of moment. And the new film has given me this hermetic pod. An ambience is never aimless, which was a dig at the uh, Alexis Pedritis uh, review mm. of Get Back. Yeah. And I love that idea of uh, there are certain bits in Beatles songs which kind of create their own worlds. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I think the thing, what was it? I because I, I remember replying. Oh, here we go. I replied to you saying I'd love to let. I'd love to live in that end piano bit of magical mystery. Tour. Oh God, yeah, the LSD bit. Yeah, you yeah. said I prefer to think of it as the LSD jazz bar sequence. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, both of those moments. Um, obviously, the longer moment that is get back. Yeah, it's just like. I think a lot of well, you know, we. I don't want to direct too much ire at that review but i think a lot of people approached get back as if it was just like you know a rockumentary or whatever rather mm. than this atmosphere of this you know you are it's like it's almost like a kind of immersive virtual reality thing that's not shit you know mm. where you're actually you know <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. I'm, I'm obsessed with sort of old london anyway seeing old london on film and yeah. books about books that were set in like you know weird sort of scratchy kind of boarding houses and you mm. know Patrick and all that exactly yeah. right yeah there we go so just to have a glimpse of that where it's not, you know, sort of five seconds of it and then you're sort of on the sofa with Martin Clunes talking about it. And it's like, well, no, I just want to see some more of the footage, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely could have been longer, get back. I've just found it almost like a form of therapy, just sitting and watching it and having the headphones on and just like purely escapist, completely transforming my lived experience while watching mm. it, like just feeling like I was there and just like it, it's sort of changing my mood and, you know. Yeah. We're just, I mean, obviously you guys know this more than anyone, but just we're so lucky to have that and just mm. the, the astonishing fact of its restoration and how well it was done and just the gift of its length and, you know, the fact that it's, you know, you can watch it anytime you want, you know, mm. yeah. not got other commitments. And um, it was so, you know, it's so close to being a three hour motion picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just such Imagine a shame that. because yeah, absolutely. it kind we of is, lost exists that, it? as something completely, yeah. you know, it, being released on streaming obviously outside the confines of any kind mm-hmm. of like televisual or cinematic format yeah we've talked about it before but the length is the most probably the most important thing and what makes mm. it so unique because if it had been split up into you know nine 
45-minute parts that all had <laughs> to have their own sort of mm-hmm. inherent arc and stuff. You know, things like the anthology are great, but mm-hmm. they are split, you know, they're very deliberately split into these kind of chapters mm-hmm. where yeah. they have to have a certain kind of narrative. And this is just this sprawling yeah. thing mm-hmm. where you can sit down with them and it's, you know, that immersive nature yeah, just of chronological it is what as makes well. it so kind yeah. of special. And just, but, yeah, just that sort of like, you know, you can spend an hour or four hours with these guys just hanging out and, and, you know, having been in bands and having been in the, you know, rehearsal studio boredom situation and just waiting for inspiration to strike. It's just like, well, this is obviously how the, you know, the best mm. band in the world mm. dealt with that. And it's like, you know, oh, wow. So, it's, you know, being in these rehearsal rooms is actually quite a similar experience. But that sort of um, the autonomy that you crave and you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier that you don't really like you know, being in bands and handing mm-hmm. over that sort of creative control. Yeah. When you watch something like Get Back, do you ever mm-hmm. question that decision or is it, just, is it just inherent in the way that you operate that you can't really do it in any other way? I think I'm getting better at sharing that sort of process with others. Um, I did a collaborative track with Arca. Mm. Where, oh, really? Yeah, me and her sort of, it was like a postal service, almost kind of emailing each other, wavs mm. and adding a bit each time. Yeah, so just ending up with a track, which was a co-write, mm. but I guess was not in the same room as her, so it's a different thing again. But like, and you know, the Daphne and Celeste record as well, but that mm. was, you know, that was very much me writing the songs. I think for me, it didn't, it didn't make me want that, but it made, it just made me yearn for this kind of, just this old London really it's like mm, you know you spend mm. a lot of time walking around the streets of Soho say and it's just like you know you might go there and there's sort of like a Denmark streets not there anymore but there'd be like a clothes shop with a glass case with one of the guitars on the wall it's like oh there's yeah. a flavor of Denmark street yeah um and just all that stuff that's been lost yeah. and you know funny little details like all the all the parking tickets on the Rolls Royce outside. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And wondering if that was lovely Rita Mita made putting them on. Mm. And just, yeah, just the, just that, just the atmosphere, just, th- there's just nothing like it. If you're comparing it to like a rockumentary or whatever, then it, it isn't, it isn't a documentary. It's just, you know, it, it's just basically just like a hermetically sealed chunk of these four people's lives that we've got the absolute honor of being able to, you know, experience at will, and it's like you know, there's never been anything like it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting enough to spend that time with any band, mm. yeah, captured in that way, in yeah, like such detail. But the fact that it is the best band there's yeah. ever been, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you're so spoiled. That's it. I yeah. think, I think what's interesting as well is the the idea that books I really like, fiction mm-hmm. I really like. I love it when fiction feels realistic because it kind of documents or accounts for the passing of time mm-hmm. so i like books where not very much happens mm. yeah um because like i love like franny and zooey mm-hmm. by jd salinger because the, the, the second story zooey is like so little happens mm-hmm. they're just in an apartment and nothing happens and you get this sense of like well life's like that is because life yeah. isn't dramatic event after mm. dramatic event but you get this just sense of this is like it, it's like you're watching a film of these two people in this apartment, mm-hmm. is it? And it's like, yeah. or it, no, it's it's actually like you're. Well, it's it's more it's better than it's like you're there. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. you've got a window into yeah. the past because you. I suppose you always think that life in the past was exciting because you just see snapshots or montages of things. Yeah, yeah. You know, but to just have everything slowed down. That's it. You. It's like 
well, you're actually there. You, yeah. see, you, you get the sense of time passing. It's more, it's more immersive, isn't it? Because it's mm. not sort of these quick cuts for dramatic effect. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just that's, that's, you can experience what it's like to hang out with these guys. Mm. It's almost like a sort of fairground ride or something, yeah. or like a sort of, well, I say, you know, like VR, you know, yeah, it's, just, yeah. it's mm. just like you are, you are in their shoes and you're just in the room and it's mm. just phenomenal. Um, yeah. And I've always, yeah, that, that just, yeah, that my, my favourite moment on a Beatles record is that bit, at the the Paul bit of A Day in the Life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to listen to that podcast you mentioned, the sort of philosophical one where they talk about oh, the first bit being a dream and then that being Right, yeah, weird studies. Yeah. Weird studies, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I found that quite fascinating. And I'd never noticed, of course, that it's sort of, Paul starts by saying woke up and then ends yeah. by saying went into a dream. And it's yeah. just a like, fucking course, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but just... I'm a real sucker for piano, bass, drums, and voice. That's that's the band. Mm, I just yeah. love that sound, and I love the the sound of it recorded on those old mics, on those old tape reels, on that crackly old record from my mum and dad's record mm. collection. Just hearing it, and it's just like it's so enchanting. And there's just like you know, there's no sort of plugin you can use on your DSP to, mm. <laughs> to put you in the place like that. It's just I don't know. Part of what's great about that bit is is that it is so short. Mm-hmm. Like it's a little mm. snapshot yeah. of something, and it feels yeah. like it could expand into yeah. this other place, you know. And it's, he's sort of he's he's very much in character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you know, the voice that he puts on is not Paul's. Mm. You know, there is yeah. something a bit sort of jazz. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. It, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's mm. yeah. It's funny because when I approach music making, it's from a sort of piano player's perspective. Like if I hear it, I can place that I can hear a song and just play it on the piano. Usually, oh wow, straight off. Mm. and I can sort of see the chords happen and I can just sit and play them but I can't do that if I someone put a guitar in front of me I can just do a, like a shit version of it <laughs> Busker's version yeah um, but with just I think I'm drawn to it because it's like I'm guessing Paul's main instrument is piano right well, it became it yeah I, I think, think he would probably learn more guitar so than the bass and, almost. but he's a natural multi-instrumentalist yeah. and uh, definitely the way that he plays mm-hmm. piano is someone who he comes from a sort of bassist yeah. point of view, I think. Like yeah. his left hand is very bassy. Yeah. And it's all, you know, big leaping octaves and you know That's it. Almost kind of boogie woogie, but Yeah, mm. like a song like Martha My Dear, you can't imagine that being written on a guitar, right? No. No, no way. Mm. Um so I just think, yeah, because just all my just my whole life I've been playing the piano. And sometimes a piano that's a tone flat. Um <laughs> and just to sort of be, you know, that oh here's a song where the piano sort of takes center stage and it's there's no guitars um yeah just love those little little moments used to listen Such to a lot great. of ben folds five yeah i was, I was gonna mention that. Yeah, yeah yeah big fan good band um yeah. just the sort of piano centricity of that moment but just yeah. it's just yeah it's just so atmospheric it just like it's like a sort of i wouldn't say a proustian rush because i wasn't it's not reigniting something that i once had it's just mm. it's it's very evocative of its time like patrick hamilton you know Mm, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, well, it's so vivid that you feel so like vivid. you are getting some kind yeah. of uh, yeah. nostalgia or, or association exactly. with it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And there's other little, there's, you know, I think that's that moment in a day in the life is when they, for me, that's when they achieved that the most. Mm. The same thing with get back, just like here we are, we're just right, we're there. But yeah. I don't know if that's something in me that's yearning for this kind of piano-y, mm. piano-y mm. childhood playing what? songs in assembly. There are other little bits you latched on to. I remember definitely loving Second Side of Abbey Road for the 
out of college money spent. Oh god, yeah, yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I'd wait for that moment because yeah. it just sounds so groovy and mm. so much yeah. fun. You just know? that whole medley is phenomenal, yeah. and just like obviously the first prog rock album, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. kicking yeah. into she came in through the bathroom. Window yeah, is always my favourite. Right, such yeah. a like yeah. explosion, incredible. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But that, I mean, just, yeah. I think a lot of people are quite sniffy about side two of Abbey Road just because of the sort of the disdain that Prog has got, mainly at the behest of some of these journalists that have been slagging off, you know, immersive, beautiful films like Get Back. Yeah. There's a real in, <laughs> yeah. sort of inverse snobbery about Prog that it's somehow made by sort of middle-class people and is mm. thus less noble than, mm. you know, punk or... I think mm, that's very much stuff. a fashionable thing, though, isn't yeah. it? That, that's probably the kind of trendy thing to say at the moment, but come on, if come that on. doesn't, if that doesn't do that doesn't it, like you, what? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, who's, no one's slagging off the second side. Of I don't know. I think oh, there are guests have. people. Some they, guests oh, have really? Yeah. Yeah. People think Chagrined it's a bit too, yeah, you know, West Endy and yeah. jazz right. handsy. I don't um, think it's jazz handsy enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love, I love, you know, I would love, I love a musical, you know, yeah. musical theatre and all that kind of stuff. Anything, where someone's having a good time performing something. Mm. Anything where you listen to a record and it's like, okay, this person really enjoyed making this. Mm. And that's always the case with every single Beatles album, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I think fun. it's partly because John was quite dismissive about it. Right. That a lot okay. of his kind of his tribe. Kind of tribe, yeah. Um, Your cool kids. They tend to agree with that. But then I don't think John ever really meant that. What yeah. do you think John's vibe would be if he was still alive? Anti-vaxxer, I reckon. Not, a lot well, of people have asked that. I think yeah. there's a, definitely a possibility he might Troll, have gone down that down road. Down the Van Morrison the, route. The trend was mm. certainly moving towards him being a little bit less spiky mm. right. towards oh, the end spiky. of his life. So maybe that's he would a, have mellowed a bit. Or there's maybe. an extraordinary story in the Peter Doggett book mm. where he says the, the guy who was producing uh, Double Fantasy, Right. Mm. they were in the studio the night before he was murdered, or the night he was murdered, because they came home yeah, from the studio. Yeah, yeah. And he said he deleted all the tapes of them talking afterwards. Wow. Because what he was talking about was so weird. Right. <laughs> and, no. he was, and he's never said what it was they were talking about. Oh, right, shit. Um, he was looking very thin. <laughs> yeah. I think, he, I think he might have been very ill. At the end. Yeah, maybe that's uh, a theory. Yeah, yeah and maybe. but but or, or or I mean, I think that's quite a well-known theory, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you just have to look at the photos. But yeah. like, but, but he was also, you know, he might have been back on heroin or yeah. whatever yeah. it is, you know. Yeah. But that that's that's such a kind of eerie story, isn't mm -hmm. it? This idea that he was talking, maybe he was talking about death or something. You know, you just don't mm. know. But I, I mean, what was on the tapes? Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's very hard to say what he'd be like. Part of you thinks he might be this kind of gone a bit Clapton or Van Morrison or something. Oh, yeah. oh please. Oh, no. But maybe he'd have gone a bit <laughs> dylan and sort of pursued his, kept on going, pursued his muse. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, hard to say, isn't it? Who knows? Fun to speculate, but... We may know. never know. Yeah. We may never know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My first album, Some Best Friend, you turned out to be, mm. was mastered at Abbey Road. Ooh. So I've been nice. in there. Nice. And weirdly, I didn't, it, I didn't, wasn't all in awe. I was just, okay, I've just come here to, I was more excited about having my album mastered. Yeah. Right. Than the fact of it being at Abbey Road, because when you finish an album, it's such a buzz. Mm. It just feels so fucking incredible. It's one of the best feelings in the world. 
Um, so you've only had that feeling four times in your exactly. life. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Really, it's time to do another one, isn't it? Um, so that first one I was lucky enough to have mastered at Abbey Road. Cool. And just went in there, remember thinking, oh, he's just stamped his foot and it's going to be on the record and then listening back to the record and like, oh, hang on, there's a weird bump there. And I just thought, this is, they didn't do as an amazing a job as I thought. <laughs> um, controversially. Um, but yeah, I have I have been in that building, but not not to the extent that you guys had when you had your amazing mm. tour. Oh, that was good. very jealous yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, that's still so cool to yeah. just have a bit of your mm-hmm. music linked yeah. to yeah. that. Yeah, have an imprint on yeah. the yeah. on the record, you mm. know. Yeah, that yeah. is quite nice. Um, did they do that in specialist mastering rooms that are not part of the main? I think it would have been in a. It was a quite a small room. Um, I don't know if it was any of this sort of epoch defining not any of the control rooms, rooms or... yeah maybe yeah. maybe John Lennon took a piss in there once. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably there'll be a plaque there eventually <laughs> yeah. but um yeah so no going back to I don't know if you want to cut it in later <laughs> one of the things that I wanted to mention earlier when we were talking about the ambiances was I was listening back to an episode of you guys sorry I'm just obsessed with your podcast oh that's um, nice thank you and well, you, you know, mentioned I... one of your guests or you mentioned the George Martin book with the Lennon quote on an instant utopia remember yes, this yes that's oh, yeah. in Summer of Love oh yeah. right there we yeah, go yeah. and so yeah. for me that's the experience that's certainly in A Day in the Life and um, Get Back just that sort of you're instantly there you don't have to hear more than a second of it to be in that place mm. even though Get Back is six or seven hours long and the piano bit from a day in their life is mm. 20 seconds long it's like you just you're instantly there instantly in mm. utopia instantly. so yeah. that really sort of got me in the gut when i heard that he had used that very phrase because that's exactly what it is and the fact that there might have been a deliberate attempt to create said utopia it mm. sort of blows my mind a bit yeah in a car mm. um, <laughs> <laughs> i have that just instant transportation for Mainly revolver, mm-hmm. but um, and pepper and revolver definitely my right. most sort of instantly evocative. Sort yeah, of, yeah. Um, revolver. I'm straight in a car. You know, mm-hmm. I'm 17 years old, driving around in Oxford, mm. and uh, Pepper was the first record I ever dis- discovered. Really, first time I saw how they worked. Yeah, nice. The magic of mm. revolving vinyl. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's a lovely phrase, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And it's funny, yeah, because I didn't have Revolver in my childhood. Basically, I just had Pepper and Road <laughs> yeah. um, and came to Revolver in adulthood and the White Album very recently, really, in mm. the relative scheme of things. I remember hearing the mono reissue of Sgt. Pepper, was it 2014? Mm. 2009 was 2009 the, one, one the, the mono yeah, ones. Yeah, the mono yeah, ones. Yeah. And just thinking... Fuck me, that's so much better. Mm. And so basically, I, had, yeah. I all through childhood, I had this sort of parental copy of Sergeant Pepper. It was probably mm. first pressing and quite well loved. Most of the inserts missing. And then as soon as I heard this one, I was like, right, that's mm. the one. And so I basically just left my childhood copy out yeah. in the street. Interesting. Right, fuck that. I've mm. had enough of that. thing i wanted to ask you about before we go is a uh, trombone champ yes this is incredibly exciting <laughs> if, if people don't know what it is it's a kind of in the vein of things like um rock band or guitar hero but with a trombone that's right 
Um, and it went a bit viral just from the kind of trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't play it because I don't have a PC. Right. I'm quite a big gamer, but that's the only platform I don't have access to. But I cannot wait. And you um, provided some music to it. I did, yes. So I wrote a song for Trombone Champ, um, which is to date my first and only foray into the world of computer game soundtracking. <laughs> um, and came about as the result of a tweet I posted four years ago whereupon I was asking the Twitter sphere if anyone knew how to magnify a small JPEG into poster size. I'd seen a picture of a cat's eye poster. You know mm. cat's eyes in the middle of the road? Mm-hmm. There was a vintage cat's eye poster from the 1940s, I think it was, that I'd seen online. Just this little JPEG. And I really wanted a poster of it for my kitchen wall. So I posted a tweet saying, does anyone know how to make this into a printable poster image? A huge one. Um, got various replies. Oh, yes, there's an AI plugin that can sort of do it. Oh, there's a Photoshop filter, but it looks a bit shit. And then this guy, Dan, uh, replied and he said, Hi, I'll make you a really incredible poster if you write a song for my comedy trombone game. <laughs> so this was four years ago. <laughs> Heard that one before, mate. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so I said, you're on, and the rest is history. And then fast forward four years later, and it becomes one of the largest computer games in the world. Yeah, incredible. Quite phenomenal. Just off the back of that tweet, I was involved and I'm the only guest composer at this point on the game, which is quite nice. I'm doing right. some more songs for it, actually. I'm doing doing a Christmas song for it and then another you know, another original Max Tundra composition. Because that track in Trombone Champ is the first new Max Tundra track for years <laughs> as well. That's what's been <laughs> This 90-second wow. piece of silly trombone music. And, and so, I yeah. imagine it's got you know some pretty good reach as well yes exactly yeah, yeah. you push the uh, thing right out and you can reach <laughs> yeah. the low notes yeah, exactly yeah but let's know. play a little clip of um what it sounds like if you're so not is... brilliant at trombone champ because yeah, it's quite it quite endlessly funny. amusing <laughs> Amazing. Well, I think there are plans to port it to other consoles and that stuff. So when that sweet. happens, I'm definitely up for yes. it. Mm. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Maybe we need, you know, like with the rock band with the guitar, will they have a kind of, you know, con- a, c- a controller that is a trombone? Well, I think almost certainly. Yeah, because yeah. it's become so big, there's like a bunch of people have made their own sort of homemade controllers for right. it. Oh, really? They had a night in, I think it was in, well, New York, where Dan lives, the programmer. Um, they had a night at like a local bar where there was like a stage and some people had brought their own trombone champ controller. So it was your opportunity to play it with a real, rather than your mouse, mm. play it with a real trombone controller. Wow. So I'd love to have Endless been there It's going to be, yeah. a, soon you'll be able to do a huge big band. Yeah. yeah. Be hundreds of people love, with VR headsets on. Yeah, incredible. It also looks like it would lend itself very well to VR. Yes. Yeah. I can imagine. There's, someone's done a few VR sort of, filmed a VR version of it. Right. right. You're sort of in a room playing it, and you move around, and you see that see an actual wow. trombone. Superb. Have, yeah. have, have Did you sales ever... of actual trombones gone up? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think they have. I love that. I, if when people ask what is the one instrument you, if you could be incredible at one instrument, mine would be trombone. Really? Yeah, I love go. it. Absolutely love it. Get on trombone. When trombone. I go and watch jazz, they're always the people I end up watching Amazing. the most. Well, I just don't understand it. They're phenomenal. Or yeah, how do they hit that? And how do they know where to stop their hand? It's just pure no practice and instinct and intonation. I think it'd be such a fun instrument. When you can't I used really to play in a it. concert band, and I always used to be 
jealous of the bones. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, we all, but you can't, you can't exactly have it all be sitting around a campfire and someone gets the trombone. <laughs> Until now. Well, maybe yeah. after trombone champ. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you know that trombone was the working title of the Brass Eye special? Really? It's called <laughs> Trombone. I was working at Channel 4 at the time in the press really? office. And we were, one of my, my jobs was to mail out um, VHS tapes in big jiffy envelopes to uh, television. Envelope. Yeah, jiffy <laughs> envelopes to television reviews. Um, and then this one emerged from the copy room called Trombone. And I thought, hang on a sec, because I'd heard that this was going to perhaps be a Chris Morris-related project. And so I hurriedly taped off my own copy and got to watch the special Really on, but it, I think it was called Trombone because people knew what Brass Eye was. Yeah, and then mm. you'd go around saying, "Oh, we're going to film in this thing called Trombone." Wow, yeah. it turned out to be that. A good double bill with Time Trumpet. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and did you ever get your blown up cat's eye? I did. Yes, Dan did an incredible um, poster of it, and it's on my kitchen wall, and it's the most beautiful poster I've ever seen. And what's wonderful about it is it's, I think, the only poster of its kind in the world because. Yeah, the only other one is this weird little mini JPEG of it. Mm. And the, the the strange thing for me that I keep coming back to is I phoned the guy at the Cat's Eye company before <laughs> I posted that tweet yeah. saying, oh, I'm trying to, basically the same question I tweeted, I'm trying to get a high-res version of this this poster. I'd really like to print out a nice big picture so I could put it on my wall. Um, would that be possible? And then he just said no and hung up on me. So yeah. we have the person hanging up at me at the Cat's Eye company to thank for my yeah. trombone champ. Well, there you go. Career. Never meet your heroes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Didn't he make loads of money, the guy who invented the cat side? I think. Yeah, I remember he, he was on How, did, how do they do that each. with Des Lynham in the 90s. Wasn't it 20p each for every single one in the world or something? Yeah. I don't know. It's still in the same family. Yeah, that's why he's gone yeah. mad with power. Maybe it's that's it. But I mean, the phone. guy I spoke to must have been like the guy's grandson. Yeah. Cat's eye man. <laughs> there is that bit in Partridge where he's interviewing... The son of the guy who came with cat's eyes. Oh yeah. And do you remember oh, he's got shit, a, maybe it's the him. same guy. Maybe he's he thought got, I was prank calling him yeah. based on Alan. Partridge has got a black eye because he's just jumped into his minibar. <laughs> <laughs> and he said and he said, Did your dad ever run towards you with a flashlight? <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah. So we've reached the uh, end of the show, dare I say climax, mm. <laughs> where we ask you if you have a controversial Beatles opinion, Ben. I do. Um, Common People is the most overrated track of the 90s. Oh, sorry, that's my <laughs> pulp controversial. Um, yeah. I can't believe I'm not having that. That's a good <laughs> no, that's, that's, um, I, I wrote an essay on quite the opposite. Oh, <laughs> did you? Yeah. Told you it was controversial. Mm. Uh, Magical Mystery Tour is the best Beatles album. Good, Ooh, yeah. Well, that's okay, controversial. Well, yeah. Controversial, yeah, because it's, it's not an album. Not exactly. But or is it? Well, I mean, it is. Are you listen. trying to? <laughs> <laughs> it is. Do you believe this? I believe that believe is the best be cohesive sit-down, play it, right. bang for your buck, Beatles record album. So you mean one the, piece of wax? The album, Capital that, Records. The album that came out with the Strawberry album. Fields. Penny the EP Lane. with correct. the singles. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, correct. It is probably the best collection of songs. Yeah, yeah. pound for pound. Pound for pound. Yeah, I've got a two, a second um, ancillary controversial fact. Sure. Which is that I prefer the Breeders' version of Happiness Is a Warm Gun. Interesting. I love it too. Reason being, I came to it first. That pod mm. album I kind of grew up with in the 90s, became very acquainted with it and only heard the White Album relatively recently. So. Mm. Right. For me, that's the default version. And it yeah. often sounds to me like the Beatles are doing a sort of muck about cover of the Breeders. Oh, nice. Mm. Weird, isn't it? Interesting. Oh, yeah. Cool. Love it. Yeah. Like Takes that's all seem, sorts. That's so cool. That, that's like um, on the Revolver thing where they're 
working out Yellow Submarine and all mm-hmm. the early versions. Just you keep you just keep wanting to say you're doing it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're so close to getting it right, and then it's like they suddenly work it out. Yeah, but, do, you know, yeah. do you know the Trogs tapes? You're doing yeah. it one, two, three, four. You're doing it fucking wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us, Ben. That was an absolute joy. Yes, um, thank Have you, you got anything Wonderful else to stuff. plug while you're here? I would direct you to the Domino reissues of my first three albums, um, maxtundra.ffm.to slash reissues. Furnish yourself with a copy of all three. They are quite beautiful on coloured vinyl. Um, and um, very much the sort of the Giles Martin versions of those three. I mean, boosted and punched up and <laughs> extremely groovy to yeah, have on in your dance set. But yeah, no, um, buy those. Um, playing at Fabric, bizarrely, quite soon, supporting a band called Clipping in November so come to that superb you like Mm -hmm. and um, just yeah just if you see me out in the street and I'm not at home working on music then walk on by (laughs) walk on by or hassle me to go home and work on the next Max Tundra album because I really need to get on with it Um, and buy Trombone Champ and buy Trombone (laughs) Champ please (laughs) yeah that's good my track on that is called Long Tail Limbo so that was Max Tundra uh, thank you very much for Ben for popping in and, sh- and writing those beautiful little jingles for us. Well, he didn't write them. I think Paul wrote them, but performing them. Uh, that was a terrific um, little chat. Yes, thanks to Ben. That was such a great chat. Do check out Max Tundra's re-released albums, which have just been re-released on Domino, and we're going to put some links in the description of this episode. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to be back next week with a fantastic comedian, Alexandra Haddo, who we had a wonderful chat with a few weeks ago. That's a real corker. Mm. So if you want to yeah. get that one early and ad-free, then you can pop over to the Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash personal Beatles, or you could subscribe within the Apple podcasts app and you'll also get our bonus episode uh, where we recently broke down track by track the recent Giles Martin remixes of Revolver and there'll be some more little bonus bits and bobs coming over the next couple of months as well so yeah if you want to support the show then you can do that or just leave us a nice review equally appreciated yeah uh on some slightly sad news this week we lost uh, a real great of the music world yes um the singer and drummer of the band Low, Mimi Parker, died uh, this week. And Low have just been one of those bands where you, they've kind of always been there. You know, they've been, they've been around for so long. Mm. I mean, I remember first getting Secret Name, that album, and you know, when I went to, in about two thousand, I think. You know, so just to have the band kind of with you for all that time, and they changed and continue to change and evolve, and so it's a really, really, I was really, really saddened and shocked mm. by that news i just couldn't couldn't really process it because they've written so many beautiful songs and she has such a striking yeah, voice amazing. that um you know that, that they've been a soundtrack to you know half my life really and um yeah so i was very very sad to hear that news about mimi parker but the reason we're mentioning it on the beatles pod is because low had covered a couple of beatles songs mm. in their career they covered a, a brilliant version of nowhere man and my favourite is they did one of my favourite Beatles songs, which is Long, Long, Long. Yeah. And if ever a, a band was suited to a song, it is low yeah. singing Long, Long, Long. So I thought we'd play a little clip of that now in tribute to Mimi Parker. Yes, it's one of the great Beatles covers. Um, mm. So we'll play you out with a little snippet of that and we'll be back next week. Keep beetling on. Keep beetling on. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.